We'll be studying right now the fourth chapter of Ilchot Shebitat Yom Tov Harambam, Torah. The main topic of this subject, of the, the main subject of this chapter, is the the kind of preparations that one would normally do, letzolech ochel nefesh, and the melachot that one could or could not do, and just to refresh our memory of what the principles are. So this is where we are. As a general rule, all melachot that are forbidden on Shabbat are forbidden on Yom Tov. A, an exception to this rule is it's an exception given by the Torah, defined by Chachamim, that every melacha that's done for the purpose of Ochel Nefesh, which we defined in prior chapters, may be done on Yom Tov, although it's forbidden Min HaTorah on Shabbat. A further exception to this rule, although would be permissible. Hachamim forbade doing something on Shabbat that could have been done without any loss whatsoever um, that could have been done before Yom Tov. Sorry, on, on Yom Tov, that could have been done before Yom Tov. So with that, let's begin. Halacha <clears throat> Aleph. And I'm not going to get into the topic of uh, electricity on Yom Tov, but I just want to point out for the majority of people who consider electricity a form, a form of Havara, this is the halakha that they should be studying, this is the halakha that should be analyzed, and although we are not going to get into it, at least you'll have the principles if you ever want to look into it later. Halakha Aleph. En mosin et ha'esh lo mina'asim velo mina'avanim velo mina'matachot this is an explicit Mishnah. Um, one may not produce fire for the first time on Shabbat by rubbing together woods or rocks or metals, um, or like heating them or causing friction that brings about heat that eventually makes a chemical reaction involving combustion. And oxygenation, uh, which which brings about fire. Likewise, very very fine uh, gasoline that if you shake it a lot, uh, it it can it can uh, it can uh, combust and it can bring about fire for the first time. Or focusing the rays of the sun through a, a, a magnifying glass or something of that sort until you focus that heat to a point that brings about fire. All of these things and things of this sort are forbidden on Yom Tov. Why? So now comes a very fine distinction it's Mahloket, Tosafot, and Harambam. The Gemara says, Mishun Shehu Molid, because the person is being Molid. Now, what does it mean, Molid? So, for the Tosafot, as the Ra'avad points out, this has to do with the same concept of Nolad that uh, was an issue of Mukse, as we studied in prior chapters. For Harambam, this has nothing to do with that. Nolad is its own subject, it has to do with what you can handle, what you cannot handle. Here it's something totally different. It has to do with the with the ignition, the combustion, as the Magid Mishneh points out, and this has to do with lehamsi. So Arambam is now going to translate the word molid to mamsi, and the emphasis is when this is being done. 
not what's being done, but when this is being done. So let me read it and explain it clearly. When this falls back to the same principle that you may not do on Yom Tov something that could have been done from before. So Rambam says, the fact that Hachamim defined as permissible within Yom Tov for whatever reason, this is only when you're doing so from an existing flame because that's something that is on demand you want to enjoy of Yom Tov and, and you take an existing flame and you tr transfer that fire or you multiply that fire to a different uh, com combustible. However, to begin the fire for the first time, that is something that is Asur Midder Rabbanan as all things that could have been done from before Yom Tov. So... In electricity, just to, to give you a little bit of a taste, many Aharonim say that electricity on Yom Tov, although it have, it, it's like Havara, and Havara should be permissible for whatever reason, they say, following the Tosafot, that it is Nolad. You're creating a new uh, source of heat or of light by turning the switch on. This particular argument would not be consistent with Harambam, for whom... The point of of uh, of the hadlaka, the the point of what you're allowed to do or not allowed to do on Yom Tov is the very initial act of lighting, which in electricity would be to turn on the generator or turn on the the power plant. So that that's that's why it's a little bit um, easier to permit electricity on Yom Tov, according to Harambam, than according to the Tosafot or the Ra'avad or others. I'm not going to get into it. It's a topic for many, many classes, not even one. But needless to say, uh, this is where you should start. Now, what about kibui? So I'm allowed to light. I understand. I'm allowed to light so long as I'm not lighting the very initial flame. Fine. How about turning off fire, putting off, putting out some fire? Although it's permissible to light a fire and to transfer fire from one source to another, this is only for lighting the fire. However, putting out a fire is forbidden, even if the fire was lit specifically for cooking or any other very Im immediately related need of, of, uh, of preparing food. Because it's not one of the needs of Ochel Nefesh, obviously, to, to, to put the fire off. And just like we don't put out fires that, was, that were lit for the purpose of heat, for the purpose of cooking, so we don't do for the purpose of having darkness. You would think, okay, I understand I'm not allowed to turn off the, the stove, the oven, because it really doesn't give me any benefit for Yom Tov, but how about the light that's in my room that I want to turn off so that I can sleep, which is nefesh. No, you may not. And actually, this is a melacha for which there is malkut, just like doing something totally unrelated to ochel nefesh, like sewing something or building something. So related to that now comes come a couple of halachot. It's also forbidden to cause the, the candle, the lamp, to turn off by itself 
for example, by tilting it so that the oil goes all to one side and it doesn't reach the, the, the wick. It's also forbidden to actually go out and remove the oil from there. You may also not cut, chop off the head of the wick. However, it is permissible, Rambam says, with your hand, Hachamin permitted, which is it's something that's not very common and uh, and uh, it's too indirect. You may, with your hand, sort of like tap the wick until it uh, it goes down a little bit, or or it um, it, uh, it it loses it loses that 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 the black the carbonized part of it which which lets it be lit it doesn't really light it's not lit anymore so if you look at any week the top part that burnt black part that's not really catching fire at the moment so you may remove that if you do that what you are causing though is that the next layer is going to to incur the same phenomenon and so you're shortening it and eventually it's going to to turn off quickly more quickly but this is something that Hamim did not forbid if you have a bunch of uh, pieces of wood that were all lit together in a medura, in some sort of a fireplace, unlike the oil, where we see the whole oil as one unit, and although uh, really only the molecules that are closest to the weak are immediately responsible for the, f- for the flame, but we see the whole oil really as one unit, and you cannot remove oil even from another corner of the same lamp, However, when you're talking about discrete units, like for example, logs of wood, so if some logs of wood have not caught fire yet, you may remove those. Those are not part of the system that's catching fire that, that we perceive right now. And taking a log that hasn't caught fire yet is not the same as removing some of the oil from a system of a lamp that's, uh, that, that's lit with oil. Putting, putting out an actual fire that caught and there is property damage. Of course, we're not talking about uh, lives that are endangered, but if there is only property damage, so on Shabbat, just like on Yom Tov, you are supposed to be willing to give up all of your assets as, and not violate uh, this Melacha of Chibui. This is true in both. Uh, one more thing, and I have to add an asterisk here, as we are going to see by Aizat Hashem in Lichot I believe it's chapter 21st or chapter 22nd. Um, uh, Yehudim are not permitted to have marit- marital relations to the light of, uh, of a candle, of a lamp. So what happens if you have a lamp on on Yom Tov, and uh, and this is preventing a husband from being with his wife. So, nevertheless, you may not uh, turn out, put off that that candle, that that light. So, but rather, Ramam says, uh, in order to not deprive the the couple from from their time together, they may. Put a keli on top of that candle, some kind of a, a utensil on top of that candle, so as to block the fire. Sorry, or they may put some kind of a, a 
divisory wall of some sort between themselves and the lit candle or or it can be removed to another room it's not as we are going to see later it's not forbidden to handle a lit candle on Yom Tov and move it from one place to the other and if none of these things is possible then it's forbidden to turn off the candle and it's also forbidden to have the marital relations so long as that candle is lit. Uh, just like we just previewed, it's permitted to handle a candle while this is lit on Yom Tov. And there is no gazera that we may not handle it lest it comes to, to be turned off. That's fine. We, we don't have that worry. You may handle that candle on Yom Tov. However, However, it's forbidden to lay that candle, that lit candle, on something organic that is growing, like a tree branch, or the, the example here is a dekel, a... Um, a palm tree, because then we go into a different worry, which is handling the actual tree and coming to uproot a branch, which is forbidden, and that's why Hachamim forbade laying that candle on that tree. It's forbidden to uh, do incense on Yom Tov, and I'll, I'll explain in a second how they used to do it. So they used to put coals, lit coals, on the bottom, and on top of it, the, the layer, a, a layer of spices or of some kind of incense, which would, first of all, at the same time, it would turn off the coals, and the smoke, the ensuing smoke, would filter through the spices and produce this, um, this desirable fra fragrance. So even if it's lehariyah, why is this uh, important? Because lehariyah is ochel nefesh, it's something that is for the, the physical enjoyment on Yom Tov, and you would think it's permissible, but it's not. So how much more so if it's not forbidden even to smell, how much more so it will be forbidden in order to give smell to clothes or to give smell to the house? That's obviously forbidden. However, it is permissible to smoke, to, to put some, some smoke um, under all kinds of foods that you want to smoke in order to eat them that way. They used to eat smoked fruits, just like you, you can find today smoked salmon or smoked fish. Um, just like it's permitted to, to, to cook meat. So this is not, it's no different to smoke as a way of preparing food to be eaten, that's fine. And you may also take a gachelet is a coal, it's some sort of a, an iron ball that they used to use. Uh, people still use them, I think, in some places. You, you take an iron ball and put it inside the furnace, inside the fireplace, and then you take it out when it's red hot, and it serves the function of fire. You can use it to light other things or to cook other things to warm up water. And they they used they used to use it for many things. You may use something like that and spread on top of it a layer of grains of uh, of mustard mustard seeds 
even though they're going to turn off the, the fiery nature, the fiery aspect of this uh, of this ball of, of iron, of, of this iron ball, because really you are not, uh, there's no chibui there really, it's not something that had actual fire, and for which it would be haya for mechabeh. However, if it's a, it's not a ball of fire, but rather a coal of wood, then this is forbidden because you are being mechabeh, and and likewise, you may not turn off a log, a lit log of wood, in order to prevent the smoke from filling the house or from ruining the food. That's too indirectly connected to Ochel Nefesh. And Zayn and Het and, and Tet have to do with things that they used to do to prepare the fire and the things for, for which we have to be careful on Yom Tov. It's forbidden to use, I, I actually had looked up the word and I forget it, it's something that um, uh, it has two handles and you close them together to fan the fire. So that kind of a professional fan is forbidden to use on Yom Tov. Uh, just not to do it in a very professional way, not because it's forbidden to light a fire, but because this is professional. Hachamim forbade it. But you are allowed to take any kind of cylinder and use your own breath to uh, make the fire more, more lively, to oxygenate the fire. It's forbidden to prepare coals on Yom Tov or to prepare wicks or, or to even um, burn the wick for the first time, which makes it more readily uh, lit afterwards. Also, it's forbidden to cut a wick in two in order to have uh, two of them as opposed to one. All of these things, because they could have been done before Yom Tov very easily without any loss. However, it's permissible to shape it with your hand. That's something that you could not have done from before Yom Tov. Or to wet it in oil. Also, you could not have done it before Yom Tov because it would have dried. Or you can also use a very long wick in, inside two different lamps and then light the middle so that when it lights, it splits it automatically into two. And that's how you split one into two. Uh, one may not break a piece of heres of uh, of um, clay or a piece of neyar. Neyar is not really paper, which is flammable, the paper that we are used to, but it's more papyrus, like Harambam was used to which is really not so flammable. It, it's a fire resistant to an extent. It's more rubbery, has lots of cellulose. And so long as it has, as it's, uh, uh, it has some oil on it, they used to put some lard or oil or some fat, a fatty uh, layer on top of it. So that would light and, and it wouldn't burn the actual papyrus. So it's forbidden to, to cut a piece of that in order to use it for preparing a fire. That's how they would do. So they would put, they would take the, the, the piece of papyrus, 
uh, spread a, a layer of fat, light that, and then bring that to light the fire. Uh, this could have been done from before Yom Tov to, to cut, to prepare that piece of papyrus. Also, you may not uh, take a piece of of, uh, of a, a cane and make it into some sort of a like a kebab uh, to, to pierce the meat and to cook with it. Likewise, if a shipod, it one if one of those um, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the word. It's what you make kebab with um, uh, square, one of those squares uh, that was made from cane, if it broke, you may not fix it on Yom Tov. This is a little bit more common if you have two objects that when they were made, they were molded together, they were made in a way that they ended up being connected. So imagine two plastic cups that are attached to each other, to one another from the factory. That's the way they were made. You may not separate them on Yom Tov because this is Metikun Keli and it is something that could have been done from before Yom Tov. So now we have competing policy rationales, competing objectives. On the one hand, Hachamim are very concerned, very concerned that Yom Tov be a day in which your simcha has no bounds. So they, they wouldn't want us to be limited on the things that we need to do to prepare food. On the other hand, they do want to encourage you to do everything that you can from beforehand. So what happens with things that people are likely to forget to do beforehand? They could have done it before, but it's something that maybe you need to pay very close attention to know that you have to do it. So we'll see some of the examples. For example, your knives are not sharp enough. Of course, you could have sharpened them from before Yom Tov, but the way this comes to be is you're about to eat or you're about to cut something, and then you realize that the knife is not sharp. So Hachamim weren't as strict in this, this kind of cases, and they don't permit to sharpen the knife with the professional sharpener, but they do permit doing so using some makeshift, some uh, uh, impromptu, kind of sharpening materials instead of the actual professional sharpener. However, this is the kind of halakha that should not be taught in public because people might take the liberty to compare and equate sharpening with, with, uh, with any impromptu material and sharpening with an actual sharpener, which is forbidden. When are we saying that you may do, you may sharpen the knife using these uh, impromptu materials? When uh, you you were able, you would have been able to use this knife, not 100%, but you know 80%. It would have, it would, it wouldn't have cut so well, but it would have cut. However, or that it was fine, and during Yom Tov it lost its edge. However, if the knife is very bland that it cannot, cannot cut at all and could not cut before Yom Tov, then this is something you should definitely have paid attention to before Yom Tov. 
אין משחיזין אותה אפילו על העז שמי יבוא להשחיזה במשחיזת. Then חכמים forbid to, to do so with any material because it's in such bad shape that you may be tempted to do so on an actual sharpener. ומפני זה אסור לראות סכין לעם הארץ ביום טוב, שמא תהיה פגומה, ויאמר לו, זו אסור לשחוט בה משום פגימתיים. Therefore, חכמים forbade also for a חכם to inspect the knives that עם הארץ, someone who is very not learned, but wants to do שחיטה, if he comes to show a knife to the חכם, the חכם should decline inspecting it on יום טוב, because if he inspects it and finds some imperfections, then the עם הארץ not knowing the halachot is going to go and professionally sharpen it, which is forbidden. However, if a hacham has a knife that he inspected for his own purposes, then he may by all means lend this knife to Amaaretz, so the Amaaretz has what to do shaita with and have meat with which the Amaaretz can be sameach on Yom Tov. הלכה יוד. אין מבקעי נצים ביום טוב, לא בקרדום ולא במגל ולא במגירה, אלא בקופיס. It's forbidden to cut, to chop wood on יום טוב, with all the things with which you chop wood normally, an axe or any other kind of instrument that used to be used back in the day to, use, to, to chop wood, but you may do so with a knife that's used to chop meat, which is not used to chop wood normally. ובסד אחת שלו, אבל לא בסד הרחב מבין השיעור הקרדום. However, when you do so with the knife, you, do, you have to do so with the edge that is sharp, not with the other side, which is heavier, because if you use the heavy side of that object to chop wood, it's like a cardom, which is uh, an instrument for chopping wood. Why did they forbid actually to do it with a cardom? Because again, competing interests here, Really, in reality, you should have been forbidden to chop wood at all on Yom Tov, because this is something that you should have done before Yom Tov. Now, the compromise is, Hachamim do want you to have wood to cook with and to be warm with on Yom Tov, so they permit you to do so, but with Shinui, with something that's a little bit different. Why did they not forbid at all chopping wood on Yom Tov, even with a kofis? Because it's very likely that even a person who prepared woods from before Yom Tov, uh, it happens that some logs of wood end up being thicker than the fire wants to catch on. And because it's taking so long to light that fire, the person might just give up and not cook and not have meat to really enjoy the Simcha of Yom Tov. That's why Chachamim permitted to do the Bikua to chop wood with a slightly different method. That's, so all the things that are of this kind, now you understand the rationale why Chachamim forbade certain things and why they permitted certain things because of these two competing interests. בין סומכין את הכדרה ולא את הדלת בבקעת של לקורה, שלא הטילו את התלעצים ביום טוב אלא להסקה בלבד. It's forbidden for a woman to come to the, the place where you store all the logs for wood, to come and choose some wood to light. This is something that should have been done from before Yom Tov. And it's also forbidden to use logs of wood for any purpose other than fire. You may not use it 
in order to uh, lift to raise the level of a of a pot that that that's like to serve as a surface or to hold the door from from closing for all of those purposes the the logs of wood remain mukse and are not permitted to be handled on yom tov It's permitted to open the, the blinds that used to be used to, to lock uh, the stores, the storefronts. So it's permissible to open them and to close them on Yom Tov in order to be able to go into the store and to take the spices that you need uh, in order to cook on Yom Tov. So to increase the Simchat Yom Tov again. So if you are following on YouTube, that's great because we have here an illustration. When are we saying that? When the kind of door of blinds that are closing the doors are the kinds that are well balanced. Uh, and they're well balanced if their axis, the axis that supports their weight, is in their center. So it's really like, you can imagine, sort of like a rotating door, and, and that's what they used to use to lock a store. Why? Because by opening this, it's, it's not so likely that it's going to come off. However, if the sear, if the axis, if the if the um, the, the hinge of, of this door is on the side, like most doors, then this blind apparently used to be very easy to come off their, their hinges, and therefore um, it's very likely the person might be tempted to put it back into the hinge, which is forbidden, and therefore it would be forbidden to open such a store on Yom Tov. And those doors that are not even hinged, to begin with, it's permiss permissible to open and close them, even for purposes other than having spices, for instance, um, any window inside one's house. All kinds of instruments of furniture that are made of different pieces uh, for example, translated to our terms, a table that has uh, legs and you put on top of those legs a, a, the surface of the table uh, that are made of, of uh, various parts, it's permissible to put them together on Yom Tov so long as there is no tekiah involved. Tekiah means putting uh, something, a protrusion inside the hole, uh, Ikea style, in a way that stays, that is forbidden. Um, because in terms of kelim, of putting kelim together, there is no binyan, and the prohibition for kelim is midarabanan only. Avanim mutale the The stones that are used for a bathroom, they used to, um, they used to sit uh, you know, in the Torah, it's called Ovnaim. Um, they used to have, in order, instead of our toilet, they used to have uh, two 
large stones, one for each leg, and you can fill in the blank and imagine how this would have been used. But it's permissible to handle and to put them in place on Yom Tov, those of nine, those two uh, rocks. Uh, why? Why? Why is it, is it permissible? Binyan um, Araihu, <clears throat> because it's uh, it's something that it's not it's not going to be permanent. Because this involves uh, human dignity, because you need them to be in a certain shape so that um, the whole experience is more or less neat um, and and you don't want the wrong things to fall in the wrong place. So therefore, Hachamim, concerned of your dignity, they permitted you to do this, which is not really Binyan. Dalet. Now, the flip side, also with respect to Binyan, although this is not Binyan Keva, and it will be permissible in the Torah, Hachamim forbade to set up the logs that you use to light the fireplace in a very orderly manner. So you may not set them up, like let's say four, then three, then two, then one, that's forbidden because it looks as though you're building. Rather, you either throw them and however they fall, they fall, or you may set them up but differently than you do during the week. For example, you can start from top to bottom. So you put the top one first, then you lift it and you put two under that one. You lift those three and you put four under those, and so on and so forth. So too, if you have a pot with food, you you have to hold it and then set up the stones, the rocks under the under it. Uh, I don't know if you ever cooked. Um, in camping, etc. But they used to do what we do when we are in the wilderness. They used to set up the fire for the kedera inside a fire pit, and around the fire pit, you'd have some sort of a a, 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 a wall that would support the kedera. So, in order to do so, you have to hold the kedera on top and then slide those bricks or whatever under it, as opposed to setting up the stones and then putting the kadira. Vechen amita, ohez akerashim lemala o machnis araglaim tahtehem. So too, if you have to set up a bed, and the bed is a surface that has four legs, you put the surface on first, then you lift the surface and slide the legs under it, as opposed to putting the legs and then putting the surface on top of it. <coughs> One second. Even if you want to set up eggs, it's forbidden to set up eggs line upon line until they look like a, a little neat tower. Rather, you have to start from the top and then build yourself down to the bottom, and everything of this sort needs some kind of a change. I would consider this halacha very carefully, 
uh, when dealing with the question of whether you may play Lego on Shabbat or on Yom Tov, I think this halacha is kind of relevant. Halachat et zayin. And now we are switching to animals. We went from inside the house, now we are going to our backyard. And this should give you a feel for what life used to be like back in the day. It's permissible to remove all kinds of insects that are attached, that they attach themselves to your animal, even though by removing them, you're causing a little bit of a, a little wound in your animal. You're, uh, you know, uprooting that uh, leech or whatever from, the, from, from your cow or, or anything else. That's permissible to do. One more thing, it's forbidden to to give birth, to birth an animal on Yom Tov. However, you may just aid and assist the animal in its doing so itself. So if the cow is uh, is giving ketzad, so Ramam explains, you may hold the little kid that was just born so it doesn't fall to the ground. You may, uh, they used to do this, it's sort of like a mouth to mouth, but something to 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 blow air, to cle- clear the airwaves of uh, of the animal as soon as it's born. That's permissible to do. You can also bring the 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 udder of the mo- of the mother to its mouth. Also, if uh, the mother was a kosher animal, let's say a cow, and and the and the animal already sort of like uh, came far from it, this is a very interesting halacha. So this is the case where the mother is sort of like rejecting the kid. So you have the cow, uh, the cow gave birth, and as soon as the cow gave birth, it uh, sort of like is moving away from the kid, abandoning it. So one of the things that you would do is you would take some of the, the smell, the scent of the own mother and put it in the kid. So you would reach into the placenta of the mother and sprinkle whatever liquid that comes with the placenta on the kid. And that makes the mother recognize it and, and want it. And you should do so in order to encourage them, to encourage it to protect its kid. However, if it's a behemate mea, if it's a non-kosher animal, you don't do you may not do that on Yom Tov. Why? Because their nature is different. The nature of behemate mea of let's say a donkey is that uh, they they don't need to feel their own smell in the kid in order to feel that that closeness. It's a very, very interesting phenomenon. I'm sure it's it's uh, it's true, and not because they had the most advanced science in the world, but because and this is something that you should always have in mind. You know, they may not have been very advanced scientifically, but they were no dummies. And something that happens daily, and they can very easily see if it's true or not, I say we should rely on that they knew what they were talking about. So, you know, they they, they saw this every single day in every single household. Of course they knew um, how these things actually happen and actually work. And it seems to be that behemate mea doesn't need, doesn't, uh, it doesn't affect it. it. It 
the relationship between the mother donkey and the kid donkey is different than the relationship between the mother cow and the kid cow. And the mother cow and the kid cow, the relationship has to do a little bit with the scent of the cow on the kid, which is not the case with the donkey. And the donkey, uh, it doesn't need to, to feel that scent. So it ends up being that if the mother donkey accepts the kid, fine. If it doesn't, it will not help that you make the donkey smell like its mother. Um, she's not going to, to take it anymore. So it's a very interesting distinction. There may be something uh, having to do with uh, which animals are kosher, which animals are not, but there is an intrinsic biological difference between behemate hora and behemate mea. I just wanted to point that out. Halacha yudzayin. Keli shenitma me'arev yom tov, en matbidin oto be yom tov, gezera shemia sheheoto betumato. Now about tum'ah. A keli, a utensil that became tameh before yom tov, it's forbidden to do tevila to it on yom tov, because the gezera is that you may uh, leave it in its tum'ah. In other words, from before Yom Tov, in order to do it on Yom Tov, same exact uh, rationale of not doing things on Yom Tov, which you could have done from before Yom Tov. However, if what you need is the water that's inside that keli, because water can also become tameh, and you want to drink that water, let's say you are a tahor, you are a haver that is careful about tum'ah tahora. Uh, you may do tevila to the keli with the water that's within it in order to drink the water, even though the keli itself is becoming tahor through that. Keli tahor la kodesh. Now there is various levels of, of tum'ave tahora. One of them is uh, teruma, and above that is kodesh, which is something that is capable of being brought into the beta mikdash. So if you want to do tevila with uh, a higher level of mikveh, which is only done with Maim Hayim, with an actual spring. So you want to, to bring a keli that is tahor for teruma and, and uh, make it even more tahor. On Yom Tov. Mutalat um, below, that's permissible. So because it was already tahor, you're just making it more tahor, that's not forbidden on Yom Tov. So to, to bring something that was already tahor to become more tahor from any level to any level is permissible on Yom Tov. The Gezira did not extend to those cases. If the Keli became Tameh on Yom Tov, you may do Tevila to it on Yom Tov. Now, if the Keli got Tum'ah through liquids, that were velad hatum'ah, velad hatum'ah means that they themselves touched something that was tameh, right? So let's say uh, the water was touched by someone who is tameh, and then those waters came and made the keli tameh, and, and, uh, and the waters became tameh before Yom Tov, but they only touched the keli on Yom Tov. I'm sorry. So this is even if it happened before Yom Tov, this would be. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling if it's Shani or Shalishi. Uh, this Shalishi, okay. So this will be Shalishi Latumah. Shalishi Latumah, um, as we are going to study Be'ezat Hashem in Chot Avotatumot, is only me the Rabbanan for most purposes, and uh, and therefore if you have something, so if you have a keli that contains within it 
משכין תמאין שהן ולד הטומאה. Inside them you have waters that someone had touched them and that someone was tamay. So the, 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 the waters, the liquids are velada tum'ah, and the keli is shelishi latum'ah. Therefore, that keli itself would not need tevila mina Torah, only mida Rabbanan, and you may do tevila to such a keli on Yom Tov. Uh, now, two kind of loopholes that Hachamim permitted also. Umadlin bidli It's permissible to use a bucket that is tameh and to bring it inside the well, although by doing so, you're doing tevila to it and making it a whore, that's permissible. And also, nidda she'en laha begadim le'achalif, a woman who is nidda, and she doesn't have any clothes that are tehorim, and back in the day, the nidda would also change all of her clothes and use clothes that are tehorim, and the way to make clothes tehorim is also through mikveh. So if the nidda goes to the mikveh with her clothes, what ends up happening is she becomes tehora and her clothes become tehorim. Now, she could not do so with her clothes alone. She could not take her clothes and put them inside the mikveh and make them tahor. And, and she should have done something before him, but Hachamim permitted for her to go into the mikveh with the clothes so that both become tahor. On Yom Tov. Hachamim forbade many things on Yom Tov in order to forbid to take us away from commerce. Mekah means to, to, to accept, to, to take something, and Memkar means to sell something. So it's buying and selling. Kesad, en poskin damin katechila ala behema biyom tov, אלא מביא שתי בהמות שוות זו לזו, ושוחטים את אחת מהן ומחלקים ביניהן, ולמחר יודעין כמה דמי שנייה, וכל אחד ואחד נותן דמי חלקו. So again, competing principles we have here. On the one hand, we do want people to have available, and to have access to everything that they need for שמחת יום טוב. On the other hand, we don't want them to, to engage in commerce. So what is the resolution? So let's say you want to get a goat from the person who is selling goats, but you don't want to negotiate on the price of that goat. So what he can do is he can bring two goats that are identical. One of them you take and you do shechita to it. The other one, you the, 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 the seller is going to save aside. And after Yom Tov, he looks at the one that was saved aside and assesses how much it was worth. And that's how much you have to pay him. And if they are splitting that goat uh, differently than half and half, they shouldn't use language that denotes value, but rather they should just use language that denotes how many parts of the animal they are taking. So they shouldn't, they shouldn't say, I'm taking, I'm taking $20 worth and you take $80 worth. They should say, if this is the case, I'll take 20%, uh, you'll take 80% of this animal. Halakha kaf. כשהן מחלקין, לא ישקלו במוזניים שמשכיחין בכף מוזניים כל עיקר, אפילו ליתן בבשר לשומרו מן העכברים אסור, אם היו המוזניים תלויים, ולא שנראה כשוקל בכף מוזניים. And when they split, they should not use a scale for this, because it's forbidden to use scale for any purpose on Yom Tov, even not to measure, even just to use it to rest something on top of it, to save it from the rodents that otherwise are roaming the floor. So you cannot put something, let's say you have a scale, 
hanging from the ceiling and you want to put the food on top of that scale so that the mice or rats cannot reach the food that you'd put anywhere else, you may not do so because you may not use a scale for any purpose on Yom Tov. Also, not only scales, but a tabah, a, a tabah means a butcher, that is an expert, and he has a very good feel for weight. He may not weigh even with his hand. People maybe in the back, in the in back in the day, they used to be able to weigh if they were experts on it just by holding it and seeing how much it weighs, by having a feel for it. He may not do so on Yom Tov. Or doing so, or uh, it's also forbidden to, to weigh or to measure the volume by displacement of water. You fill something with water and you put something inside and then you save the water that, that fell uh, on, on, on another container uh, to see how much that weighed. That, that's forbidden also to do on Shabbat, uh, on Yom Tov, sorry. ואין מטילים חלשים על המנות, אבל מטילים חלשים על בשר, בשר הקודשים ביום טוב כדי לחבב המסווה. חלשים means some sort of a raffle, it's also forbidden to raffle the pieces of meat on, on, uh, on יום טוב, so obviously some pieces are yummier than other pieces and you may want to uh, spice things up and make things exciting and have some raffle for who gets, uh, who gets the... Uh, the first piece of meat, who gets the prime rib, who gets this, who gets that. You may not do so on Yom Tov, unless it is for Besara Kodashim, it is for Korban Shelamim, which used to be eaten by, uh, sorry, Shalme Hagiga and Shalme Simha, which used to be eaten by everyone, uh, because Hachamim permitted to do that and to, to, ex to, to make things more exciting so that everyone enjoys the mitzvah even more. They permitted to raffle those parts. Now a few advices of how to actually buy things on Yom Tov without engaging in commerce. How do you do that? It's forbidden to tell a butcher, give me $10 worth of meat. Rather, he should ask for a specific piece of meat without mentioning, without using any dollar amounts, any monetary values. And then tomorrow, they'll settle how much the piece that was taken was really worth and how much is due. So too, he may not buy from, let's say, a spice vendor, spices vendor, based on, on, on very set measures. Like, you shouldn't say, give me, uh, you know, 10 ounces of this, 5 ounces of that. Rather, how should this be done? You should say to the Henvani, Henvani, by the way, is Baal, Hanut is the same thing. Henvani and Hanut are the same Shoresh. Fill me up this container without mentioning how much this container may, can contain. And tomorrow they settle the account. Even if everyone knows how much fits in that container. It's a container that is exactly 15 ounces. He still may use it without mentioning the word ounces. is the baker. Uh, 
Nahtom is baker, but it's also a professional uh, cook. Um, so the cook or the baker may measure, may measure himself uh, the specific measures needed for his recipes uh, in order to not ruin his creation. However, a woman may not measure flour to uh, for a dough, to create a dough. So this is important and relevant for our days, for our women or our men, if they are into it, if they are uh, preparing uh, bread for Yom Tov or something on Yom Tov, they may not measure, they may not measure the flour. Now, this is, uh, some people want to be extra uh, Hasidim, and they want to measure in order to be Hayav Behala, to do Afrashat Hala, but by measuring, they are violating this Halakha, so it's something to Definitely be careful on. Also, when someone is giving food to their animals, they may not measure. Rather, uh, it should be an estimate and give that amount to the animal. Also, it's permissible to take from the, the store owner um, eggs or any kind of fruit or any kind of nuts by number so long as there is no mentioning of how much that number is worth so you can say a dozen two dozens without saying two dozens for five dollars or whatever sorry so so doesn't might actually be problematic so long as you don't use a a number that is intrinsically connected to a value. So in our days, that will be a dozen. What does it mean, a, 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 an amount, a value that is related to a number? So for example, let's say I already uh, took by credit I took 10 pomegranates uh, three days before Yom Tov, and I come on Yom Tov and I want to take 10 others, then the store owner cannot tell me, oh, so you owed me 10, and now you're taking 10 more, that's a total of 20. Rather, he says, you should only mention what's being taken on Yom Tov, and then the next day, you add them up and you see what's the total. A person may go to the shepherd or the, the person who, who grows who grows cows he used to have a profession called patam. The patam used to uh, feed cows and make them fat and, and ready to eat um, or, or a shepherd. So if you have a sort of like a very well-established relationship and, you know, you take you take an animal and then the next day you pay them, you may do so on Yom Tov as well. Um, so long as, again, no mention, there is no mentioning of any value or, or anything that is being added to the account. Like, oh, you took yesterday two goats and today is two goats, that makes four. No, just mention what's being taken on Yom Tov itself. If there is any debt due to these transactions on Yom Tov, these debts are 100% collectible. Why is that? Because if you weren't allowed to collect, then who in the right mind 
would enter into those transactions. And if you did not enter into, into those transactions, people wouldn't have the food that they need to make their Yom Tov as happy as possible. So because of that, Hachamim gave a special status to all of these transactions on, on Yom Tov, although they don't have all the elements that make a tr transaction binding. There is no writing, there is no idim, there is no... Uh, a lot of things that are missing. Although one may not separate Teruma or Maasrot on Yom Tov just like Shabbat, if this was already separate from before Yom Tov, one may go and deliver them to the Kohen, and the interest here is the Simha of the Kohen. The Kohen is going to receive this Terumot, this Maasrot, this Lehayim, Keva, parts of the animal that belong to the Kohen, and he's going to have Simhat Yom Tov through this. And now we switch from the Kohen to the poor people. So to people who collect food for the poor, they, they should do so on Yom Tov, but they shouldn't announce it uh, very loudly like they do during the week. Uh, rather, they do it more privately and they knock from door to door, and then and then they they go and then they they deliver uh, to each person that they normally give to what they give on Yom Tov, and this may have to do with uh, wanting to not embarrass uh, the aniim that are going to receive from this tamhui uh, or or from this gabba uh, And With this, we finish the chapter.